All right, well, why don't we dive into the Word of God here? What an incredible honor to be in the house of, the mor- in the house of God this morning. What an incredible honor to get to dedicate babies to the Lord. I love it, love it, love it. So a few years ago, I had a conversation with another pastor, and we were discussing different theological topics, and I like to do that. I'm a bit of a Bible nerd, so if you like to talk theology and those things, hit me up. Let's have some conversations. I believe that's where iron sharpens iron as we dig into the Word of God together. But we were talking about these different subjects in the Bible, and we sort of turned onto this subject of what's your least favorite thing to talk about or preach about? Now, he answered right away. I was sitting there kind of thinking over it, you know, what would it be? He answered right away, and he said his least favorite topic to preach on in all of the Bible was on money and giving, on offerings. In fact, he made a statement that he would rather preach an entire sermon series from the book of Leviticus on infectious diseases, skin diseases, and mildew in people's homes than have to stand in front of a congregation and preach on money and giving. Now, I think we can probably relate to him in some sort of way. We all understand that the topic of money can be a sensitive one to many people. Conversations around money are often considered taboo, and they fall into that category of things you just really aren't supposed to talk about. It's one of those topics that's often been misunderstood. It's one of those topics that there's been a lot of bad teaching on in the church. And it's one of those topics that maybe sometimes feels like it's easier to just sort of skip over and not even be worried about. And yet, it is a vital truth for us to understand Because a sound, biblical-based view of money and giving is vital in the life of a believer. And we can see the importance of this topic based on the sheer number of references made to it in the Word of God. And so the Bible has over 2,000 references to money and giving. Around 15% of Christ's teaching and 16 or so out of the 39 parables that Jesus taught on make reference to money and offerings and giving in some sort of way. So from the very beginning of the Bible in the Old Testament, all the way through to the end of the Bible in the New Testament, you will see all sorts of teaching on money and giving and offerings and stewardship, generosity, blessing, and so much more. And what's really important for us to grasp, and the reason the Bible talks about this so much, is that a proper view of money and giving becomes a blessing in our lives, and it becomes an avenue for us to make an impact in the world, whereas an improper view of money can lead to it becoming an idol in our lives, and it can actually become a sort of a thing of anguish. But when we really understand the truth around giving, I think it's actually an exciting topic to preach on. I have no problems teaching on it. I know some of you have probably heard bad teachings on it, and you're like, oh no, here we go again. Is he going to try to guilt me into giving offerings? Am I going to feel bad? No, 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 no. That's not what it's about. I think we're going to take a fresh look at this today, because I think it's actually exciting to study, and I think giving is actually really exciting when we understand it. So if you have your Bibles, let's head on over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we are going to do a deep dive today, verse by verse, into one of the Apostle Paul's teachings on giving. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The 
have the verses up on the screen as well. 2 Corinthians 9, we're going to read verses 6 to 11. He says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And so let's jump right in with verse 6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so in verse 6, the Apostle Paul starts his teaching with reference to sowing and reaping. It's planting and it's harvesting. So you see this a lot in the Bible, and the reason is that society at that time was an agrarian culture where most people would be familiar with the concept of cultivating the ground, planting seeds, and then harvesting crops. And here Paul uses the picture of a farmer planting and harvesting seed to represent our handling of money and our resources and our giving to the kingdom. And he paints a picture, and he says, I want you to imagine a farmer who has a large field. But imagine he goes out and he only plants just a few seeds. That farmer should not then at harvest time expect to see a huge harvest. However, if that farmer goes out and he does the work and he's generous with his seed, he should expect that come harvest time, he will see a great harvest. And so while this is a very basic concept, This verse instructs us that we should expect the harvest to be proportional to what was sown, what was planted. If the farmer wants a great harvest, the instruction is to make sure that they are generous with their seed. Of note here is that the verse does not teach us that the farmer should go out, plant three seeds in his field, and then turn around and simply pray to God and ask God to give him a great harvest. I've counseled people that have had financial struggles before, and we've gone down this path where they're not generous in any sort of way. They're planting the three seeds, and then they're saying, Pastor, can you pray for my finances? And my answer is always, of course I can pray for your finances, but are you also doing the things that God has instructed you to do? Are we following the word of God, and are we being obedient to what he says? Because we're not supposed to see the blessing of God to simply come and overdo when we don't do what he's called us to do. We're called to reap so generously if we want to reap generously. So sowing and reaping is a principle of the kingdom. And it goes beyond just giving. But in this certain case here where Paul's teaching, it's all around giving. Now the good news is, is that God is not limited and his blessing can certainly come and take the work of our hands and do even greater things with it. So obedience to God positions us to see his blessing in our lives that goes beyond the natural. You may remember the parable of the seed that's sown on the soil. And Jesus says that when that seed is sown on the good soil, it can actually produce 30, 60, or 100 fold. 
But note in that parable that the blessing comes onto the seed that was sown. It wasn't called upon to come upon the seed that wasn't sown. God takes the work of our hands and he blesses it and he multiplies it. He's a supernatural God and he wants us to operate in that realm. And the blessing of God is always ready to come upon obedience to his commands. So if we want to see an abundant harvest, we are called to sow generously. And when we do, we position ourselves for God's grace to come alongside and bless the work of our hands, to bless our giving, to bless our generosity. So we have an incredible promise here that if we sow in a generous manner, then we will reap a great harvest. And seeing the great harvest is the motivation to be generous, and it's a great starting point for cheerful giving. Cheerful giving. Look at verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under, compa- or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So perhaps the most important thing we can understand when it comes to money and giving is that God does not need our money. That's the most important thing that you can understand today. God does not need your money. God has no needs. If he had a need, then he would not be God. God has no needs. So the Bible is not telling us to give generously because of some fear that God won't be able to accomplish his plans and purposes if we don't. The Bible is very clear that God has great desires, great plans for this world, things that he is going to accomplish. The real question is, do we get to play a part in that or do we simply watch from the sidelines? There should never be a feeling of, of, a feeling of guilt or a sense of compulsion when it comes to giving. Rather, it says we should give what we've purposed in our hearts to give. See, giving in the kingdom is at its core a heart issue. It's a heart issue. So how many people remember the story of the poor widow and her offering? You remember that? So there's this story, and Jesus is with the disciples at the temple... And people would bring their offerings to the temple. And it says that Jesus was there with his disciples one day, and they're watching. And it says that many rich people came and put in large sums of money. And then it says that a poor widow comes and puts in what would be the equivalent today of just a few cents, a few pennies. And yet Jesus in that moment calls his disciples over to him, and he tells them that she put more into the treasury than all of the others. Her offering was greater in the eyes of Jesus. Why? Because God is not after your money. He's after your heart. God is not after your money this morning. He is after your heart. But what we will see over and over again is that our giving to the kingdom, the offerings that we give, are often a really good indicator of our heart's condition. He's not after your money this morning. He's after your heart. So though the widow's offering, though it wasn't much in human eyes, was massive in the eyes of God because it revealed a heart that was completely his. Right? It's a sad thing that so many people believe that the church is only after their money. And I understand that a lot of that is self-inflicted. We've had some really bad teaching in the church. We've had some very prominent pastors who have fallen because they've had this love of money that led them completely off course. But the fact of the matter is, God is really after our heart. And God loves us so much that he wants to restore every single part of our lives. He desires our hearts to be fully sold out to him. And the widow, though her current means was only able to allow her to give a small offering, had a heart that was generous. 
And Jesus saw that generosity and he said, disciples, she's giving more than all of these others. See, when God has our heart, we can be what this verse tells us to be, cheerful in our giving, joyful in our giving, happy in our giving. I know for some people that doesn't make any sense. They're like, what? I, I got to give money to God? Right? If you would go to the world and tell them, hey, we freely give offerings to God, they probably think you're crazy. But we can be cheerful in our giving. How so? It's when we recognize that through our giving, we are making an impact in this world. Through our giving, we can see people's lives changed and we can impact eternity. I don't know about you, but that means something to me. That I can give and I can impact what will last for all of eternity. When we give to the kingdom, we can take our money that God puts into our hands It's a temporal resource that's here today and gone tomorrow. We can take that temporal resource and we can sow it into the kingdom and turn it into something that impacts all of eternity. You take what's temporal and you turn it into something that is eternal. See, I love to give because I can impact eternity. I can take money that's here today and gone tomorrow and I can turn it into an offering that impacts people's lives that impacts our community, that sends missionaries to the world with the gospel and takes that temporal thing and turns it into something eternal. See, when you give to a local church, when you give to a ministry, but when you give to a local church, you are giving and you are supporting every single ministry of that church that is impacting lives, that's impacting lives in the church and it's impacting lives in the community. See, when you give an offering to Bethel, You support the work that leads to people coming to know Christ. When you give an offering, you support the work of people being discipled and raised out and sent out to reach others. When you give, you support the work that allows for people to be healed spiritually, emotionally, and physically. When you give, you support the work that allows people to be set free. You support the work being done in this community through things like New Hope, through the Good News Club, outreaches like Light the Night and other ministries that we have. When you give, you're supporting things like Adams County Christian Academy, the Creation House, a Tender Care Pregnancy Center, and other things that are making a kingdom impact in this community, in this region. When you give, you help to support missionaries in a number of different countries around the world that are working to advance his kingdom. Man, when you give, you impact eternity. You impact eternity. When you put that offering in, you are impacting what will last forever. See, a proper understanding of money in the kingdom is that it is both a tool and it is a weapon that we can wield for the kingdom When you place your offering into that bag or when you give online, whichever your preference, it becomes a tool and a weapon for the kingdom that God uses to tear down works of darkness and advance his kingdom in Littlestown, the surrounding region, and far beyond. When you give, you are investing in the kingdom. And while the stock market may be both up and down, and if you've looked recently, it's mostly down, investing in the kingdom is priceless because it's an eternal return. When you invest in the kingdom, it is a priceless return of kingdom advancement and souls that no price can be placed upon. It's the single greatest investment that we can make with our financial resources. 
Cheerful giving and being excited about giving is not hard when we realize the incredible impact our giving and our offerings are making. See, money should serve us, but we must never serve money. Money is an excellent servant, but it's a terrible master. Financial resources that God has put into our hands should serve us in our mission to advance the kingdom. Because when we give, people will benefit. However, what's awesome is that the next verse shows that there is also a great benefit for us. Verse 8, it says, And God is able to bless bless you, bless you, that's not what it is. We're going to try that again. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As we bless the work of the kingdom, God can't help but bless us back. He does not want to simply bless you, but this verse tells us that he wants to abundantly bless us. Now here's where things sometimes go off the rails when it comes to teaching on money and where the incorrect teachings on prosperity get it wrong. All right, so stick with me here. The truth is God desires us to prosper. The message of the gospel is one of prosperity. That is absolutely positively true. The message of the gospel is one of prosperity. God desires to bless his people abundantly, and he desires to bless us in all things at all times. When we give generously and cheerfully, it's an outward expression of our internal heart condition, of a heart that belongs to God and is positioned to be blessed by him. And what is amazing is that blessing goes just beyond financial things into what this verse says, all things. God wants to bless you in all things. See, the false teaching on prosperity makes the mistake we talked about a couple of weeks ago in failing to identify what is truly valuable. God desires us to prosper in all things. So financially, yes, I believe that. He is the God who provides, but not just financially, but also in our health. Physical, mental, emotional, in our relationships, in our families, education, our jobs, our ministries. God desires you to prosper in all things. He desires us to prosper in things in our lives that are truly valuable. See, the error of what has been called the prosperity gospel is that they narrow their focus too much on God's blessing on finances. And they make it all about giving an offering so that we can be blessed in our finances. It's a work-based mentality trying to earn God's favor. It doesn't work like that. See, everything in the Christian walk is living from our position in Christ, not attempting to obtain one. We don't give to receive. We give because we've already received. We give because God has already blessed us. So I fully believe that God does want to bless our finances. Absolutely. That's part of the all things in the verse. But we must never narrow the focus of the blessing of God only on them. And notice he desires that we would prosper so that we will have all we need. God provides all of our needs so that we will abound in every good work. See, we're blessed to be a blessing. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. We are a blessed people so that we can bless. The Christian life is not a bless me club. Right? That's the problem with the prosperity gospel is it all becomes this sort of bless me God, bless me God, bless me God, bless me God. I want more of this, I want more of this, I want more of this. But we are blessed in order to be a blessing. 
See, if God blesses someone in any area, but especially if he blesses them financially, they have an amazing opportunity to be able to bless others. 1 Timothy 6.18, it says, Command them, and the them is people who have been blessed financially, to do good, to be rich in good needs, and to be generous and willing to share. So there is no criticism whatsoever in someone being blessed with financial resources, in someone being wealthy financially, simply the command to be generous with it and to utilize it as a tool for the kingdom. So whether it is in finances or in any other area where we have been blessed by God, it allows us to be able to complete the work that he has called us to do. And that work is to impact people for him. And Paul drives this home by quoting from Psalm 112 in verse 9. He says, As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. So if you read Psalm 112, it speaks about those who fear the Lord and who listen to his commands. It describes what they are like and it describes the outcomes of them living their life in this manner. And in this verse, it says that they freely give gifts to the poor. Once again, this is freely giving. This is cheerful giving. It's not under compulsion. Rather, they freely give because they see the need and they see their ability to do something about it. And what is the result of living in this manner? It says that their righteousness endures forever. They leave a legacy that lasts forever. In other words, they make an impact that lasts for all of eternity, as we have discussed. 1 to verse 10. I'm going a little bit faster today. I know the hour's a little late, but we're going to keep moving here. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So God provides both bread and seed. Both bread and seed. The picture that Paul is painting here is that part of our finances are the bread. They are for living off of and sustaining us. And another part of them is seed. They are for planting and they are for kingdom investment. So God provides bread. Let's start there. He provides the bread. It's what we need for living. God will always provide for all of our needs. I like to testify that when I was in grad school, I had a stipend each month of $650. Now, I had purposed in my heart that I was going to tithe, I was going to give offerings, and so every month I would give a tithe of 65 bucks and an offering to missions of 35 Now, if you do the math on that, and I'm sorry we always talk about math, If you do the math on that, that left me with $10 a month for taking care of all of my other bills and expenses. Now, I had some savings from working before I went off to school, and I lived frugally. Please don't ever offer me tuna. (laughs) I ate so much tuna during grad school because it was so cheap. Please don't ever offer me tuna salad. Oh, I'm done with tuna forever. So I lived frugally, I did the right things, but what was amazing is that the financial numbers made no sense whatsoever. It didn't add up, and yet I was never lacking, because God provided the bread as I was faithful to plant the seed. It's an amazing thing. See, there is both bread and there is seed. And so what's really cool about that is because there's bread and seed, you can eat the bread and not feel guilty about it. You say, what do you mean by that? God provides financially for us so that we can live. 
This means that in general, he is not telling us that you need to bring 100% of all the money I put into your hands back as an offering because there's bread and seed. Now, we know what happened with the wealthy guy that went to Jesus and, you know, that's a whole other thing. But in general, God is saying that I'm giving you financial resources made up of both bread and seed and so eat the bread. You can eat the bread that God has provided for you, and you don't have to feel guilty about it. That means it's perfectly okay to have a car, to rent an apartment, to buy a house. It's okay to have hobbies and go on vacation and enjoy life. He made us human beings. It is perfectly okay to take the bread that God has put into your hands and use them for those things. He gives us bread to eat. But this verse also tells us that he gives us seed that is to be sown. And what is most important is that we don't take the seed that is to be sown and turn it into bread that we eat. We eat the bread, we sow the seed. He gives us bread to eat. He gives us seed to invest into the kingdom. See, within our finances, there is both bread and there is seed. The bread is the part that sustains us and allows us to live. But there's also the part that is the seed that is to be sown and invested into the kingdom. And look at God's desire. He wants to increase the supply and the store of the seed to increase the harvest of the righteousness. When we recognize and sow the seed well, we position ourselves to receive more of the seed to increase the kingdom impact that we are making. Now, I think this verse makes presents a little bit of a problem for those who preach that God wants to bless us all so that we can have mansions and Lamborghinis, right? Not that there's anything wrong with those things if people are doing the right things. Because here, Paul talks about God wanting to increase the seed, not necessarily increase the bread. Now, it doesn't mean that God can't or won't increase the bread. It's okay to have a larger house as you have kids than you did when you started off or a tiny little apartment maybe that you rented. Don't misunderstand me this morning. But God wants to increase the seed because at the end of the day and at the end of our lives, that is what is most important for others and for us. See, as I said a couple of weeks ago, we will not stand around in heaven someday and compare the square footage of our homes. We will not stand around in heaven someday and compare the type of car that we drove We will not stand around and ask how many zeros we had in our bank account. But what we will see is people. Or maybe we'll have a recognition of people that aren't there. He wants to increase our seed because it allows us to make a greater kingdom impact. It allows us to invest more into the kingdom that benefits others by reaching them for Christ but it also benefits us in a way that eternally matters. And while an increase in the amount of the bread we have may lead to earthly temporal enjoyment, an increase in the seed we have and can use for the kingdom leads to eternal impact and reward that benefits the sower of the seed as well. We are stewards of what God has given us. Are we stewarding it well? Are we using the seed he gives us for the advancement of the kingdom? All right, now here's the fun question. This is where we're going to have some fun. How do we know the... At least I think so. You can tell me afterwards if you agree. How do we know the difference between the bread and the seed? What is the bread and what is the seed? 
I think it's answered in the next verse, but it may not be as clear as we sometimes want it to be. Verse 11, it says, You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You say, wait, does that answer the question for me? Well, yes, because it outlines what we as believers are called to be. Generous. Generous. Verse 6 started with telling us that if we sow generously, we will reap generously. Here it tells us that we will be enriched. God will put resources into our hands so that we can be generous on every occasion. And when we're generous, it will result in thanksgiving to God. We are called to generosity in our money, in our giving, in our finances. Generosity is a condition of the heart, so it extends far beyond that. It extends to being generous with our time and our love and our grace that we show people. It's being generous in forgiveness and patience with others and so much more. All of those things flow from a generous heart in a similar manner that our giving should flow from. All right, so there's this debate that sometimes you see pop up about whether or not tithing is still valid for the New Testament. I would love to see a poll in here right now. I'm not going to do it. You don't know how bad right now. I just want to do it like a show of hands, right? How many people believe tithing is? How many people believe tithing isn't? But you'll see this debate sort of pop up, right? Is tithing still valid for believers in the New Covenant? Now, if you're not familiar with the concept of tithing, tithing was introduced in the Old Testament as giving one-tenth of what the Lord has blessed you with back to the Lord as an offering. It's the first fruits, the very first fruits of what God has given you. And what's fun is that there's voices that fall on both sides of this debate. And it's a fun one because both sides will often use the exact same verse to justify their position. Now, you may recall the verse captured in both Matthew and Luke where Jesus is correcting the Pharisees. And he tells them, guys, you tithe on your herbs, but you neglect justice and love. And then he says, you ought to tithe, but don't forget about the more important things like love and justice. So what's interesting is you have people that take that verse and they say, well, of course tithing is still for today. Because Jesus told the Pharisees that they ought to tithe. But then you have some voices that look at it a different way. And they say, well, this was Jesus teaching before his death and resurrection... And since there's no other specific verse in the New Testament teaching on tithing, it's not really valid for today. And there are all sorts of other verses and arguments that both sides make, and I won't get into it because I'd rather just tell you what the answer is. Are you ready? I don't know. (laughs) Don't you love honesty from the pulpit? It's good. And, And before you say, all right, we need to get rid of this guy... The board right now is probably very like, oh my gosh, is he telling them they don't need to tithe? What's wrong with this guy? We'll correct that in a minute as far as, you know, giving. I don't know. But what makes me feel good is there's really smart theologians on both sides of the argument that will argue until they're blue in the face about whether it is or it isn't. And you can even find ones that sort of just straddle the fence and they say, I'm not entirely sure either. The board's so mad at me right now, I bet. Sorry, guys. I love you all. See, I believe tithing is a great place to start, but I don't actually think it's meant to end there. 
So if you are already tithing or if you have not yet started tithing, giving that 10%, that one-tenth, I believe it's a great place where you can freely and with joy start to give unto God. It's a great way to be consistent in giving. And yet I can't help but recognize that verse 11, I believe, calls us far beyond that. How so? Well, I want you to imagine for a second, and this is dangerous because we're getting close to lunch. I may just lose you all right now. But I just want you to imagine for a second that I had a piping hot, delicious pizza from whatever place you prefer and with whatever toppings you desire. For me, that is ham and pineapple because from the pulpit of God, I declare that pineapple belongs on pizza. Where are my pineapple lovers? Yes. If you have an aversion to that, we will do deliverance prayer at the end here and you will enjoy your pineapple pizza from this day forward. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. So imagine I have a pizza. I see I'm getting hungry now, right? It's 1130. Yeah, it's not good. We're, We're going off here. This is not good. But I want you to imagine that I have a piping hot pizza with your favorite toppings on it from your favorite pizza place. And I want you to imagine that you come to me and you say, Pastor Josh, can I have some of that pizza? And because I love you, I would say, of course, I will share some of my pizza with you. And then I want you to imagine that I give you one-tenth of that pizza, Now, remember, a standard pizza is cut into eight slices, and so that would be me not even giving you a full slice of pizza. It would be me taking one slice of pizza, cutting a piece off of it, and saying, here you go, have this. Now, I don't know how you would respond. I don't think that's probably enough for most of you. And I don't know how you would respond if I handed you one-tenth of that pizza, but I highly doubt anybody would go, Pastor Josh, you're just so generous with your pizza. (laughs) If I handed you that dinky little slice, I don't think there's a single person here who would say, wow, you are so outrageously generous with your pizza. And I bet you know where I'm going with this, and it might make us a little uncomfortable, but I'm not entirely sure that one-tenth is really meeting the standard of generosity. God calls us to generosity in our living. And this is why I don't get that much hung up on the tithe and don't tithe. Is it for new covenant? Is it not for new covenant? Because I believe we're called to go far beyond. So in my life, guys, I will tell you how I do it. I will always start with a tithe because I believe it's a great place to start. It's a great way to be consistent. And yet my heart pulls at me to be more and more generous. And so I don't stop there. We look for opportunities to give to missions, to different projects, to fundraisers. It's all about a heart that's generous. And there's such an excitement knowing that it's making an impact. And as you see that impact, it encourages you to be more and more generous. The word says that God desires to transform our heart and give us hearts that are generous when it is time to give. And I believe that standard probably goes beyond just the tithe. So if you're tithing today, I'm not saying stop. It's a great place to start. But I would also just challenge you to say, Father, am I being generous with what you've put into my hands? Is there more that you would desire me to do? If the worship team wants to come, that would be awesome. 
We must always remember, right, that God does not call us to equal giving, but rather equal sacrifice. And that's what the story of the poor widow shows. So some may be at the point in their lives where they're able to give much more than others. But God is not looking at the amount as much as he is looking at the heart of the giver. And when our hearts are in the right place, there is no burden or guilt that is needed to give. But rather, we can view giving in our offerings as just another way that we can worship the Lord and we can make an impact that resounds throughout eternity. This is encouraging because God takes what we give. He blesses it and he uses it for his kingdom. And he can use amounts that are either large or small. This is one of the other amazing things about the body of Christ, that we can come together and we can give of our financial resources and we can do more together with those resources than we could ever do separately. I fully believe that Bethel is a giving church. And I want to encourage those who have been giving to keep it up because it's making a difference. And if you're here today and you would say, I haven't really been consistent in my giving, or maybe I haven't been very generous, or maybe I haven't even started giving in any sort of way, I encourage you to seek out the Lord and give it a shot. Because as you do, you will find God's blessings just poured out over and over and over again. And you'll get to lay your head down on your pillow at night knowing that you did something to help impact eternity impact eternity. I want to encourage all of us to generosity, to a lifestyle of worship with our finances. When we are generous and when we give, we make a kingdom impact in the lives of others, and we're going to see a positive kingdom impact in our life as well. So let me begin to wrap this up by saying this. Thank you, Bethel. Thank you, Bethel. Thank you to all those who have faithfully given to ones that are sitting here today who have sacrificially given. Thank you to all of those whose hearts are provoked today to give. Now we've seen a good amount come in for our project offering for the lot and the roof, and I thank you for that. We're gonna get the roof fixed on here in the next couple of weeks. We're gonna get the one piece of the lot when you come in off of the main road. That's sort of like an adventure right now, like you're off-roading. We're gonna get that fixed, I believe, this week. The Lord's doing amazing things. Thank you for all those who have given to that. If you want to continue to give to that, you can. The Lord's building something amazing here. I thank you for that. See, as individuals and as a church body, I'm believing that in the days to come, as we are faithful in our giving, we are going to see a massive increase in both the supply and the store of the seed so that we as Bethel can make a greater kingdom impact than what we are making now. I have no problem preaching about money because God wants us to, because we get to partner with him. Co-heirs with Christ, this is just another way that we partner with him in changing the world in which we live. And maybe most importantly today, I want everyone to know that as your pastor and speaking on behalf of the board of this church, we take seriously the stewardship of the offerings that you give. I stand before you today and I recognize that I will stand before Christ someday and answer for how we spent the resources that people have given. That we will stand, myself and the board, we will stand before the Lord and answer for our stewardship of those funds 
And I can tell you, we prayerfully and diligently seek the Lord to ensure that we are stewarding them well. Every dollar that is spent is done with reverence and an understanding of the sacrifice that somebody may have made to give. And so you have a promise from me today. There will be no flippant use of the funds of this church. There will be no flippant just spending away of the funds of this church. We will spend them with the reverence that they deserve as offerings unto God. So I want to encourage us all to generosity in our giving. And I pray that as you give, you would be blessed in all things at all times and that Bethel would continue to increase and make greater and greater kingdom impact here in this community and far beyond. And that this church would lead to eternity being impacted forever with souls one for the kingdom. If you want to go ahead and stand to your feet today. I'm going to go ahead and pray and close out the service. Then we'll have a worship song. If you need prayer for anything, anything whatsoever, if you have a need in your body, in your mind, if you have a need in your finances, if you have a need relationally, don't leave before you get prayer today. I'll meet you right down here at these altars. God is doing miracles in this church. We are going to have a healing service in December. I want to start planting the seeds of that. God has already started to do some physical miracles in this place. And I'm just looking forward to people sharing those with you of what God has just started to do. He's healing people's bodies. He's healing people's minds. He's doing incredible, incredible things. And we are believing for such increase on that. But if you are here today and you have any needs whatsoever, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus or you strayed away from him and you want to come back to him, just meet me at this altar today. I would be honored to pray with you. Otherwise, let me pray. You are blessed as you go. If you want to stay here and worship for a little bit, you can. Bethel, I love you all so much. I thank you for your faithfulness. I'm telling you, God's doing some amazing things here. Some amazing things here. And our financial resources he gives to us is just one way that we can come together to make that impact for him. So, Father, I thank you that you have been so good to us. Father, that you have blessed us. In Christ, we are already blessed. And so now, Father, I pray that we would bless others because you have blessed us. Lord, I pray that as individuals and as a church, we would rise up in generosity, that we would be known as a church that is radically generous in all things. And Father, we pray that you would increase the store of seed so that we can do even greater things yet for you and for your kingdom. So I speak your blessing over every person that is here today, Father. And I pray that you would just continue to walk with them. You would continue to bless them, bless them in their finances and bless them in all things. May the name of Jesus just be exalted in this place, in this community, in this region. May Bethel serve as a lighthouse so that many can see your light. We love you, Father. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
be a blessing this week. I love you all so, so very much. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.